This is a podcast asking the very best in the world how to stay resilient. I'm Michael Bungay-Stanier, and we will get through this. So Jen Loudon happens to be one of my oldest friends, not that she's ancient. <laughs> Wait, let's start again. No, 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 no. it's perfect. <laughs> I, have, I have got to know Jen. Those of you who know me know that I've been part of a mastermind group for years, like 15 years or thereabouts. And Jen has been part of that mastermind group forever. We call it the Brain Trust. We check in on a kind of day-by-day basis-ish on a kind of web board. We talk every couple of weeks. We hang out once a year together as a, as a group. And in a kind of sneaky way, Jen has become this very, very good friend of mine. Because I'm like, I don't know, would I hang out with Jen Loud in normal days? Possibly. But because we've been thrown together with this small group of extraordinary people, we've just got to know each other. And I get to have the luck of having her as my friend, which I'm grateful for. And that's above and beyond the fact that this woman is really a pioneer in the world of self-care. I mean, it's been almost 30 years since her first book, the 1992 best-selling book, The Women's Comfort Book, which has sold millions and is beloved by women in particular around the world. And I know because I've talked to Jen about it, she's still getting people calling her up going, I love that book. It was amazing. And it still is amazing. She's written uh, five other books since then, and her latest is about to blossom onto the world. It's called Why Bother? Discover the Desire for What's Next. And because I'm her friend, I've had a chance to read it, and it is, it is, it is a great book. And it's been the book she's really been waiting to write for, I think, the 30 years since the Women's Comfort book has come out. So it's a culmination of life experience it's really in some ways it's it's the spiritual sequel to the the women's comfort book so i'm excited for this to come out in the world you know as you'd expect from somebody who's written a best-selling comfort book she's been on oprah she's been on hundreds of television shows and radio shows and podcasts she's been featured in all the magazines people usa today cnn a shout out in two of Brene brown's books that that's not credibility i don't know what is so Jennifer Loudon, how are you doing? So really, you really did make me sound ancient. 30 years since I started. I know. Amazing. It is amazing. But the thing is, I've known you for 15 years, so I'm also ancient. You know that, <laughs> you know that, that saying, inside every old person is a young person saying, what the hell just happened here? <laughs> you know, it kind of feels like my reality anyway. Yeah, me too. All right. So let's talk about this whole idea of uh, you know, comfort, as you phrased it 30 years ago, self-care, as we kind of talk about it now, it's, it's, it's a hard thing for lots of people to do, men, women, whoever. What, what makes self-care feel like such a indulgence and something that you can't normally do? Mm, so many things, but I, I think, think something that might really resonate with the people listening to this who follow you is that it feels like we're going to lose our edge. It feels like it's not something that's going to make us more productive or help us be smarter or get ahead in our job. And I, I think then we say, it's just, it's, um, it's fluffy. It's, <laughs> right. you know, it's, it's, what is it even? Like, it's not something I can hold in my hand. Right. 
So not not only do you kind of like it's a kind of softening, it's a fading, losing yes. your edge. But like, I'm like I'm not even sure what it is. Right, and then I think the other thing is is it really requires us to go inside and ask ourselves what is it that would be self care for me right now? And there's so much noise in the world about self care. When I wrote that first book, it was the first book to talk about self care. Yeah in the mainstream period. Like it just, there wasn't a whole section of books in the bookstore. Right. There was nothing. And now there's so much advice about what self-care is. And one of the things I discovered really early on when I started to teach workshops and give speeches about that was that there was, you know, well, if I do my nails, one would say to me, or if I exercise, I'm taking care of myself. And I remember very early on thinking, no, it's not about what other people do or tell you to do. It's what in this moment is actually going to recharge you right? and or help you be strong and courageous for that difficult conversation you have to have with your direct report or that hard meeting you have to speak up in or that big presentation you have to give. Right. And that requires us often to slow down and kind of stop the bouncing around and go, what do I really <laughs> need? And that's scary for a lot of us. It's scary for me. And, you know, I've been teaching about this. <laughs> I love that inside around stop bouncing around mm-hmm. get grounded and ask yourself you know what do I what do I want what do I need in this moment and as then a, a way of accessing something right and then the second the thing that comes in when you ask is a lot of times people don't know and they panic they right. have no idea what they need that would recharge them and that's a phase that I see or, or a, a passage that I see people have to go through. And if you can stay with it and stay curious without needing to figure it out, it will often lead you, even if you don't feel like you get it right, like, do I want a bath? Do I want to talk to my best friend? Do I want to go for a run? The fact that you're asking is often where the relationship with yourself gets reborn. And that's where the self-care in itself lives. Can you tell the, the story how you ended up being a trail runner? Because it's one of the kind of weird and extraordinary things that's happened to you in the last four or five years. And I think in some ways is a is a story that fits into this whole, you might be surprised at the answer <laughs> of what you get when you ask, what do I want? Or what would, what would kind of nourish me and recharge me in this moment? So how, how did you end up schlepping along desert trails? <laughs> Yeah, well, before I moved to Colorado four and a half years ago, I lived in the Pacific Northwest, and I went through a long, dark time in my own life um, of a lot of loss, um, including my dad's death and a divorce, and um, I wrote about that. I spent four years trying to write a memoir about it, which totally failed as a work of literature, but eventually became my new book, Why Bother?, and in writing those stories about my life, I discovered that one of the things that I did was I took myself out of life and then decided that other people didn't like me or that I didn't belong, but I was really doing it to myself. So before I moved here, I made the declaration I was going to say yes to everything. <laughs> I mean, right. you know, you know, not like anything weird, but like, so I moved into this really cool neighborhood <laughs> that sounds, you know, just like normal. Yeah. Uh, requests. And so I moved to this cool neighborhood where there's a lot of yeses to say. And I said yes to a running, walking group. I'm like, oh, I love to walk. I'll go and walk. Well, that night, there was only one walk, 
her and Kelly, who I love, um, but she walked a lot slower than me and I didn't want to walk off and leave her. So I said, well, I'm going to try this running thing. And I ran off and left her. And that was the night I became <laughs> it's a better, It's a better way to leave people. It's like, don't walk, <laughs> but run. <laughs> um, and it started this whole just re rebirth of saying yes to things and meeting people who were runners. And then I got my husband involved at first very reluctantly. Now he's far more obsessed than I am. He is. And it, it you know, and it became it, it became this for me. I mean, there's all the great stuff that comes from running and it's been really incredible for my mood, but it's also been a way of saying I belong and and I can do hard things, which has been incredible. One of the things I really appreciate around your your thinking around self-care is a kind of moving it away from the kind of the soft and pastel colored fluffiness of it because that can kind of that's part of the baggage I think comes with the mm -hmm. phrase self-care and you've talked about self-compassionate grit and I always love the kind I love a paradox and it feels mm -hmm. that in self-compassionate grit there's a there's a tension and a paradox well, what are you talking about well, during that dark time in my life that I write about in the book, I was in yoga and I had been going through this mysterious back ailment that would come and go, which now is just hysterical, but it was so not obvious to me at the time, but my back would twist into this very painful shape and no one could figure out why. And <laughs> I can kind of figure out why now. But <laughs> right. um, so I was doing yoga very gingerly because I'd be real careful not to you get flare up. And I had this voice in my head say, Grit without self-compassion is just grind. And I, you know, how you have those moments when you're some part of you speaks to you and you go, oh yeah, that's true. I'm really good at grind. And one of the things I was doing to myself during that time was I would do anything to try to make things work. So I would make myself crazy with trying projects and trying to stay busy. And I was totally bouncing around and not settling down and really asking myself not only what kind of self-care I needed, but what did I really want to do next with my life? Mm. You know, we would go back to your first book or second book, Great Work. What was my great work? I was doing a lot of barely good work. Um, and so that became something I really started to develop and, and think about for myself and then for the people that I lead and teach is what is self-compassionate grit? And it's bringing together the two because here's the thing about self-care. It can become really self-indulgent. And I see this a lot out there in the world. I'm taking care of myself and it becomes this way to sort of hide or say no to things, not take on challenge. And that can really spiral into depression and a deep case of why bother. Mm. We marry self-compassion. I will be kind to myself. I will stay on my own side. I will treat myself with the same love I would treat you, my friend, with grit. How am I going to keep showing up? How can I find, how can I rise to the challenge? What resources can I call on to rise to this moment that feels difficult or, yeah. um, you know, out of my, out of my range right now? So putting the two together, because what I was doing in my why bother time was I was taking care of myself, but it meant a lot of like hiding in bed. <laughs> right, right. And I think that's so interesting to go, all right, part of a fulfilled life is to step out to the edge of yourself, of what's comfortable or what matters and go, right, I'm going to hang out here. But to do that without a sense of self-care is, is a little dangerous. Mm -hmm. and, and you know risk risk failure 
in a way that can feel a bit more catastrophic. And if, right. you, if you swing the other way and you're like, I'm more self-compassion and I've got no edge, no grit, you're like, so you're just one endless spa visit. And that's exactly. like, that's not that exciting to anybody, probably no. not even to yourself. No, and I think sometimes people can get caught in either side, right? Depending on our personality, we right. get caught in the grind and the push and I'm going to stay busy and at least I'm busy, even if none of this has any meaning <laughs> right. and I'm totally burned out or I'm over here like coddling myself because I don't think I have what it takes to go out in the world and try things. How do you help people find the find the the grit find the edge find the why bother what what's a way of accessing that I, one of the things i discovered when i was writing this book is that perhaps we had been missing a part of our transitions little and big right little and big and that is that when something is done or something has been taken from us or something no longer has juice for us or passion or meaning I'm wondering if, and this is what I suppose in the book, is we need to settle down and we need to let ourselves find just a flow of pleasure and desire, period, not tied to figuring out what's next. And then that can bring us the energy and the courage and the direction to make hard decisions or get out to our edge or make new things happen. And I think the thing that we skip is kind of finding that desire again. Finding that that energy just to be alive and enjoy life, and we so quickly tie it to figuring things out or um, getting on with our career or writing our next book or whatever yeah. it is. It's interesting you say that because, as you know, I've I'm in a I'm in a a, a transition mm -hmm. process right now. You know, I I stopped being CEO at Box of Crayons nine months ago. I stopped being involved in Box of Crayons three months ago my book came out and my TEDx talk came out three weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> and so all these kind of big things have been done and dusted. And now there's part of me. And as you know, Jen, I kind of on balance probably tip towards grind rather than coddling. Um, <laughs> and so I'm like, okay, so there's part of me going, fill the space. <laughs> don't let any don't let weird blanket areas appear in your calendar because what the hell does that mean? Um, and part of me is really working hard to just um, allow something to emerge through time and just trying to see what happens if I don't rush into the next thing to see what shows up and kind of tap slightly at the window uh, rather than me kind of rushing fast out the door. I, I cannot tell you how much I think you are exactly in the space that I describe in the book. I have thought it now for weeks. I'm like, oh yeah. Don't try it. And you do, I, mean, I think you're going to do great. You're doing great. You're doing this. This is an experiment, but it's, yeah. it's staying out of that. I'm figuring it out. I'm tying it with a bow. This is the thing, right? Because when we do that too soon, I think we cut off this natural regeneration process of why bother. And then what I see in my own past is then I would tip back into burnout to why bother to who cares to good enough and not really those moments of greatness and right. stretching. And yeah, so I'm glad you're in this time. I think it's amazing. I'm, I'm, I'm really happy for you. 
<laughs> so it's so good to watch other people suffer. Yeah. No, 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 it's so good for the soul, Michael. Thank you. But that's exactly what I wrote in the book, right? Which is like, yeah. I would get to those places that you're in and I would hang out for a day or a week or a month and I'd be like, okay, enough of this. I want to know, I want to do, right? So yeah, the, yeah. I most most of the people listening, I imagine we're doers, right? Yeah. We're, we're action takers, we're risk takers. And it's really hard to hang out and say, okay, well, I want to go for a walk and I yeah. want to look at the clouds and maybe I want to learn about the stars. But what is that going to do? Get me. And I'm like, I don't know, but I got to get that feeling for life again. I got to get that curiosity back. Yeah. And it, it, you know, it always reminds me of that story in Big Magic, Liz Gilbert's book. She talks about um, getting really curious about seeds and gardening, but it's like this little tiny curiosity at first. And two years later, it leads to all the research she does to write her book, Signature of All Things. But it starts so like, hmm, I think I want to order some seed catalogs. <laughs> I know. It's... um. Well, it reminds me a bit of this, a saying I come back to often, which is inspiration is when your past suddenly makes sense. Mm -hmm. But it's when you when you find the thing, you can look back and you can see the trail of crumbs that got you there that made no sense at the time, but somehow ended up in its culmination. You know, right. as you think about why bother and, you know, the the time you spent writing or attempting to write the the memoir, the why burn, burn down the barn, Mm -hmm. And you're like, how hard that was. And they kept writing okay drafts. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay. I had to go through that to get to the to the, the real book that you needed to write. Exactly. And you read some of that early stuff. I still have all those emails when I would, we were sending chapters back and forth right. and trying to write the coaching habit early on. Yeah. And you'd be like, yes, this is great. This is great. And I, I kept all of those because even though it didn't become the book I wanted it to become um, in that form, it became something that I'm really proud of and happy with. That encouragement meant the world. And you're right. It was, if I knew what I knew now and how long it was going to take, oh my God, I would have <laughs> totally opened a dry cleaning store. <laughs> totally. Um, and possibly a good thing that you didn't. I hope so. Um, <laughs> Um, one of the tools that you've taught me, uh, COEs, what, what the heck is a COE? <laughs> there are uh, conditions of enoughness, and they've grown out of many years of mashing together different people's wisdom. And um, it started when I went to coaching school in 2001, and I learned about conditions of satisfaction. And that right. was when, you know, the whole business thing, like if you ask someone to do X for you, how do they know they're actually fulfilling your request? Yes. Um, and then that over time morphed to, well, how do I know I'm fulfilling my own conditions of satisfaction for myself? Right. And that led to, wow, just so much understanding how little we make and keep clear promises to ourselves and how that so deeply undermines our self-trust especially when we're thought workers, you know, we're people out there who aren't building things we can see, we can feel so discouraged because like something like writing a book, it takes so long. Am I actually making any progress? Right. So the idea of, I've turned them into conditions of enoughness for, because what I've discovered is if we don't declare what is enough for us, dependent on our standards and our actions, we live in a sort of hungry ghost, never satisfied, always chasing the next thing place. And that's a terrible place to live. Do you use these for like just defining the end of a project or is it something that is more helpful on the kind of 
week by week or day by day basis? You know, I find people use them a lot of different ways. I don't use them for everything on my list every day. I find it a little too cumbersome, but I use them for things that are scary or big. So I use them for writing, for sure, for writing a book. I'm trying to use them around my book launch, um, but I find myself getting, you know, twisted up in my own you know, like, what is enough? I don't know what enough is. So, right. how do you launch a book during a pandemic? Okay. Exactly. Where's the book on that? Oh, there is no book on that. <laughs> but a friend of mine who also read an early copy of the book, and she works in a big corporation, she she was asking me, you know, how to use them. And I said, you know, it's really for me when I'm feeling overwhelmed or feeling something's very wobbly, then I like to break it down and it it starts to ground me. Or when I'm in that feeling of I'm not enough and I'm getting really triggered and feeling like a loser, then I know it's time to draw them out. So can you give me an example of a condition of enoughness, maybe around your book launch, Um, one 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 that's about a doing thing and one that's about a being thing, if that's what I'm hearing, right? Oh, uh, around the book launch, it would, for me right now, it, a uh, doing thing would be the night before, so last night, you know, Sunday night for me, would be looking at my actual to-do list and trying to quantify what actual actions I'm going to take the next day that I'm going to declare are enough. And instead of looking at the big picture of how am I going to get Oprah to pay attention to this book now. Got it. Um, and, and and just to kind of really get kind of mm-hmm. specific and granular, like wh- what does that mean? It's like, is it enough just to do a podcast with Michael or is it enough to send three emails? I mean, is it kind of is, mm-hmm. is it as specific as that? Yeah. So the, the four elements of conditions of enoughness, so the first one is to declare what is enough in facts. We tend to assess what is enough to put some kind of value judgment on or opinion. So you want to separate it out. So three emails might even be too vague. Mm-hmm. Um, it might be three emails to these three people. It might be these three emails asking for these things, th- these things. So the next thing is to put some kind of limit on it. So three, a number or frequency, something so you know when you're done and you can say, I did that. And then the third thing is it's dependent on you. So it's not three emails that people respond to and invite you to be on their podcast. It's three emails you wrote to podcasters. Got it. Um, and so then a, fourth, a commitment more to process and outcome. Right. What you can do, not yeah. what, what someone's going to, how they're going to love it or give you what you want. And yeah. then the fourth thing is to celebrate, to acknowledge you did it, even if you don't feel like celebrating because you're like, three emails, that's nothing. My book's going to disappear. <laughs> right. Got it. That's really helpful. And is the idea that you should go, look, this is the, this is the Goldilocks moment. This is the sweet spot between not enough and kind of overworking because, you know, I know from a, from personal experience, a uh, trying to do a book launch, it's endless. You could go, mm-hmm. I, I've, I've sent 400 emails today. It still doesn't feel enough. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I'm like, okay, I've sent three, that was my commitment, but I want to send another three. Am I breaking my own system or, or is that still work? Oh my God, that sounds so like you. You're going to hack the system. <laughs> um, you can totally check in with yourself, and, but you must stop and say, I did what I said I would do. Right. Um, one of my favorite right. stories. That's the, that's the fourth step. You've got to celebrate. Yeah, you got to stop. Crossing the finish line that yeah. you set yourself. And when that, exactly. I, I said that was going to be enough and I've done it. Right. And so I have two stories about that. One is this from years ago, someone was doing conditions of numbness around gardening. 
And they said, like, usually I would just keep going until I was bent over in pain, but I made it so every, she had some kind of giant bushes and she would yeah. clean the understory of one bush and then sit on the porch and say, I did it. Yeah, I remember reading that in the book. You're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, you know, that's very tangible. Um, so it's really good to use them around these things that never but just keep eating at you, right? Yeah. It doesn't mean you're going to feel like it's enough. It doesn't mean that you're going to go, yeah, I'm so great. But at least you're trying to reframe this hungry ghost. I can never keep up. I can never do enough. I'm such a loser. Because that is what causes why bother. That's what yeah. causes us to quit an entire book. I love that. That's really helpful. It's really... And part of what's helpful about it is you get to set this yourself. And I can imagine that if you make it a regular practice, you kind of get fine-tuned into what works. Because mm -hmm. I'm sure there are some times when you set a condition of enoughness and you're like, it was too easy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm like, I plan to get, I plan to put pants on today. You know, okay, that's, that's not sufficient. Um, but then you could go, if you're, you know, driven you're like i'm gonna i'm i'm, oh, I'm, I'm keen i'm gonna i'm gonna send out 20 emails to podcast today for instance and you're like oh, i couldn't get to that and you're like too much yes so yes, it's that's about, exactly um it's a it's a process that calibrates over time mm -hmm. and one that i'm really glad you said that because one of the things that i have to watch for around big things like a book launch is getting too small is being because i get afraid right and I get afraid that no one likes me and no one likes the book and I'm such a loser. And so then I start making my conditions of enoughness smaller and smaller. Mm. And so one of my check-ins is to ask myself, am I thinking big enough? Um, but then the same thing at the end of the week, I might be like, wow, I really tried to think big and I feel so bad that I couldn't keep up with those. So it is this constant calibration around these bigger projects. Yeah, that's really helpful. And I like how... You know, just right at the start, um, we talked about how to find the balance between self-compassion and grit mm -hmm. and to realize that they're, they're part of the same equation and you're just trying to find the right mix. It feels to me that in conditions of enoughness, you have the same balance, which is you're trying to find, a, it's a statement that finds the line between compassion and, and boldness and, and a kind of a, a willingness to play big but a willingness to also celebrate the smaller successes when you have them. I think that's very true, but I, I really also want to point out that it is also taking back agency over our own projects, our own process, our own right. life and saying, I say this is enough today. I'm the one that declares that, not my boss, not the reading public, not Amazon, you know, not Michael who thinks I do a good job on this podcast or not. I declare what is enough. Nice. And that's the deeper process that we're working. Jen, fine. this has been great. Thank you. Um, any final reflections on this, how to find the balance between compassion and grit and uh, bring agency into your life? You know, I think it is for some of us, our lifetime's work. I know it is for me. Um, I don't know if it's as true for guys as it is for women, different cultural backgrounds. I think the most important thing is that we realize that this attention to this balance is not about finding it and sticking it, right? Like uh, somebody who does one of those 
gymnastic moves and I stuck it and you know <laughs> right. it's never gonna be fixed it's never gonna be done so it is the checking in with yourself mm. that matters not the results not whether you wow today I was so balanced and self-compassionate and gritty and I just did it perfectly like great if that day ever comes celebrate it but then tomorrow <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be yeah. different so if you're checking in you're doing beautiful so people will be able to find your books and particularly the, the new book, Why Bother at you know, bookstores online and offline, of course. Mm -hmm. If people want to uh, be part of your community or connect with you in the virtual world, where will they find you? JenniferLoudon.com. Perfect. JenniferLoudon.com. <laughs> it was a pleasure. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you, honey. Hey, it's Michael here. Two things before you go. The first is a gift. The second is a request. The gift I want you to go to mbs.works and hunt down the year of living brilliantly. Really, it's some of my best work because it is a 52-week, 52-teacher, absolutely free video-based course where I spend a lot of time curating some of the smartest people I know and saying, teach me the best of what you've got. If you're looking to really step up, to have a year that's just a little bit sweeter, a little bit better than the year you've just had, that is a terrific resource. So please go and check that out. Absolutely free, no obligation, nothing required other than for you to sign up and get going on it. And then for the request, I just want what every podcast host wants, which is a little bit of love. So if you'd consider going to iTunes or Spotify or whatever your favorite podcast platform is and giving the podcast a bit of a rating and a bit of a review, that would be amazing. Thank you.